the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 379 for Monday, February 6th, 2012. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions. You send in your tips. We bring some tips of our own to the table. We try to answer your questions. And together, we all try to learn a little something new each time. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in my room, in my office. I call, I call it my office. In Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. That's the difference between when, uh, when we were boys and now that we're adults. We went from having rooms to having offices. Isn't that yeah, right? I corrected myself. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's basically where all my... Computer junk and piles of garbage are like I said. Piles we keep, of papers. We keep our toys in our rooms, and and we keep our our computers in our offices. It's the it's the same thing. All right. Hey, did you, did you watch bowling? Uh, uh, Super Bowl, right? That's right. Yeah, that was it. Was excellent bowling. Yeah, nice game. Yeah, except the Pats choked at the end, <laughs> ruined it for us here. <laughs> really? Uh. Yeah, yeah, they, they there were four balls in a row they could have caught it about the four or five minute left mark and that would have that would have done it. Oh, That's I wish it. they made that hail mary at the end. Oh, oh that would have been beautiful. It, it, it could have happened, but it didn't. Yeah, it could so. have. That's and that's the beauty of uh, of a game like that is you know you, you really don't know right up until the the very end what's going to happen. So, um, uh, you you made some changes in your in your life though uh, some changes that that many people are are for. Uh, because mobile me's going away, you made some changes. Why don't you tell us about them before I stumble even more here, John? <laughs> so yeah, it it's people who are using iWeb and mobile me publishing will be very sad in a few months because Apple's going to cut you off. So then and say. I've been using and I've been using iWeb and it's it's a fine program, but it looks like Apple's going to retire it and they're not going to you know, it'll still work and then you can still uh publish your your uh, your things not to mobile me, but you can still publish your content and, and host it somewhere. I think we talked a little bit about right. this, um, but I decided to finally just, just migrate my stuff off of iWeb over the weekend. And here's what I did. You know, the, the option that made the most sense to me was um, it's a service that I've already been using, but I kind of consolidated it and, and converged all of my stuff there. So what I finally decided to do was to put all my, uh, now, this is uh, the only thing that I really publish is photos. So for me, this this is the right solution. If you're using iWeb for something else, then this, this may not be the solution. Okay. But if you're doing mostly photos, then I think Flickr uh, is the way to go. That's what you've chosen anyway. This is what I chose. And the reason I chose it was as follows. So one is that the programs that I use to manage my photos or share them all have a Flickr component. And there's basically two programs that I use. So one is, of course, Aperture. Right. And the other is uh, Instagram. So Aperture, when I use my, you know, more sophisticated camera and Instagram when I'm on the road and using the uh, the iPhone camera, uh, it allows you to publish your photos uh, to a number of places, uh, including Flickr and also to Twitter and uh, Facebook and, and a few other things. I, I'm going to I'm actually I was going to save this until the end here, uh, but but I'm actually going to take a little detour because you, you bothered to explain what Instagram is. Uh I have a question about Instagram because I see a lot of people use it. Mm -hmm. So you're one of them. It it seems to me that Instagram is built to 
mess with my photos. It's not really just built to publish them, though. Of course, it does that. But but it, it, it seems like it its prime purpose is to do some sort of filtering or make my photos look old or do something to them before it uploads them. It's not just a nice little service that, that publishes photos like TwitPic or, um, or something like that. Yeah. I personally do not use it that way. Oh, really? Okay. No, none of the photos that I, and, and some people you see, they even post when they post their photo, they'll say no filter. Okay. Um, none of the photographs that I take are modified with Instagram. Uh, on occasion, sure. what I will do, uh, there's a very nice free utility on the iDevices called uh, Photoshop Express. It's free. And if anything, I may crop a photo or I may bump up the saturation. Yep. And maybe the exposure. It, it has some very basic ways to modify the photos. But no, I, I personally don't like the, the Instagram filters because a lot of them just... It just makes it uh, look I dumb. Know. I don't know. That's I, I don't know about dumb, yeah, but um, me. I, to me, the challenge with Instagram is to uh, gauge your skill in taking photos with an uh, with iPhone camera. Now, another thing you could do, of course, and some people do this as well, and I don't know if I'd say it's cheating, but, but to me, the spirit of Instagram is what can you do with the, I, with the iPhone camera? And, and that's the spirit within which uh, I use it. So that, yeah, makes, I, I, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, the nice thing, as I mentioned, so it can publish things to a Twitter feed, which is cool, and it puts certain tags on it. Uh, the other thing is that Aperture has a built-in module where you can share with Flickr. So you take uh, however you, you group your photos, whether it be a project or a folder or whatever, and you highlight it, and you get a number of options to push them to your uh, Flickr account. There's a one-time setup where you enter your credentials, and then from that point on, anything that you select out of your projects uh, you can push to to Flickr and that's how I did it so it's and there's a correspondence between uh, the, so Flickr has a number of ways to, to define your photos I define them in things called sets and there, there are a few right. other things you can do sure uh, so it's pretty much a one-for-one one, uh, it, it was pretty much the same experience so rather than going to uh, iWeb page, you know, which I give people the URL for, you go to the Flickr page. But there are a number of things about Flickr that I think are, are nice. Now, there, there was only one stumble that I had is that, you know, I use the iFi and I like the ability to geotag the photos. Um, initially, I was having a problem because when the photos would show up, it wouldn't show the geotags. And I, I would like people to, or I just think it's kind of neat to see where the photos yeah. were taken if yeah, people are interested. As long as it's not a security risk, sure. Right. And so the, uh, what I actually found out, so, so I was looking at Aperture and I'm like, why isn't, why isn't this data not showing up when I publish the photos? And I looked in the photos with preview and I would see the, the longitude and latitude were in there. And I'm like, what is Aperture screwing it up? And, and at one point, actually, iFi had a problem with their software where they, were, they weren't uh, filling in that data properly, but then they, they issued an update. Okay. Um, as it turns out, there's a setting on Flickr that you have to change to say yes. Uh, so by default, they do not uh, allow the, the publishing of the data, even if it's in the photo. So once I figured that out, um, you know, everything was great. But the other part of Flickr that I really like is that uh, similar to Instagram is that it has a sense of community. So Instagram is neat because you right. can like Twitter, you can follow people. And if you like their photos, you can vote on them. And if people vote on your photos, you get little notifications and everybody, you know, gets a warm fuzzy from that. Yeah. Gold stars um, are good. Everybody likes that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody's a winner. <laughs> That's right. Everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> right. 
Um, but also, so, so they have two things in Flickr, and, and I upgraded to Flickr Pro because there's some limitations, I think it's like 25 bucks a year or something. There's some limitations in that only a certain number of your sets will show up, or I think there are upload limits. So I decided to drop the 25 bucks for uh, Flickr Pro. Oh, smart. Oh, I know, I know who that is. <laughs> no, actually, you know what's funny? So uh, everybody say hi to Pilot Pete. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Ladies, uh, too. The, the funny thing is Pete snuck in without really making any noise whatsoever, and then I uh, flipped the edge of my iPad up just then, and it bounced against the keyboard, and it made all kinds of noise that had absolutely nothing to do with Pete being here. So, uh, so there you go. Nice. Anyway. All right. But so the other things that I like about Flickr, and then we'll move on. But the the other things that I like about it that go beyond iWeb. So one is similar to Instagram. You can follow other people. You can list people who are contacts, and it can go through your um, a, a number of your your uh, directories. Uh, oh. You know who you know on Facebook and all that. And then you can add people. And if you add them as a contact, then you can see. I'm not sure what criteria they use, but you can see their photos. In, in a separate stream and then they cool. can see yours as well. So that's nice. And then the, the other concept that they have is groups. Uh, so some of these photo walks uh, and there's a few of them. So there are two groups where I never got around to it. And now I did where you can publish photos that you upload and, and put them in a, you know, a collective. So people that you've uh, you know, hang out with on these photo walks can do it. And then there's also one, uh, our good friend, uh, Victor Kayaho. Kayao. Kayao. Um, from the typical, has a group. Mac user, typical Mac user podcast, and but also a typical Shutterbug group because right. he also does a, a, a typical Shutterbug podcast. So he has a group for that. And anybody that's part of that group can publish their photos and that other people can vote on them and all that. So, so I like uh, number one, it integrates fine uh, with no extra plugins. So there are third party plugins, but the built in functionality is good enough for me. So you can sync your aperture content to Flickr. Uh, you can, see contacts so a sense of community and there are groups and also the geotag uh support and also it lets you view the exif data in the photos which may be uh of interest to some people so i'm uh so far so far i'm, I'm very pleased and yeah so i'm done with uh mobile me and i'm probably done with iweb i, I don't think that i really have any reason reason to uh, use it anymore but yeah it doesn't sound like you do i mean if if you're doing all that right from iphoto or aperture you're uh you're good to go yeah. So I, I didn't wait until the last minute, which I said I would do to migrate my stuff. So I, I'm curious what other people are doing for their because uh, I think it's June, right? June is when uh, a lot of yeah. this is going to get shut down. So I, I'm wondering what other people are doing. And you better start thinking about it. June's coming up. I, I came in on the tail end of this, but I've been a, a Flickr Pro user for, eh, I think, about three years now. And one of the things, oh. I don't know if you mentioned this or not, John, is it's essentially essentially unlimited uh, storage Uh of all your photos and at full quality. So it's a good way of, to uh, back them up, so to speak, that if you uh, crash your hard drive or whatever, you oh, don't yeah. lose all your photos forever. Okay. Um, I noticed that, that they do limit, I think they limit the size of videos, but, but other yes, than that, yeah. I, um, and the other thing that's, that's kind of interesting is you can also tag your photos. So here's another thing where it goes beyond uh, iWeb is that you can tag your photos with a, a creative commons license. Where yes. you can indicate to people, okay, here are the conditions under which you be, uh, I will allow you to use my photograph. And I think I mark mine as non-commercial with attribution. Uh, the, the, there's a bunch of options. I think another thing is that they also will give you an option to publish your photos to, to Getty, which, oh, you know, really? does, uh, st so apparently you could, if, if you want to uh, market your photography and you're willing to share it, uh, apparently they offer an avenue for that. And, and finally, 
uh, I noticed that the built-in aperture functionality also gives you an option of what quality you would like to upload. So you can say web quality, I think optimized or or full quality. So you can, you know, so if if you are into thinking about selling your photographs, you may not want to upload the full quality one. Um, and I think, and ju just for the sake of, of size and performance, I, I think I said, you know, web resolution, which, you know, when you see it on a web page is, is fine as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. As long as you don't want to print them. Uh, all right, cool. All right. So let's, uh, let's dive in here and let's go to Nicole and, uh, and Nicole writes, over a year ago, I sent in a question about my MacBook Pro trackpad that was freezing up and or not responding and just generally a pain to live with. It had been replaced once or twice by Apple, and I believe the motherboard was also replaced by Apple. You guys made some recommendations that I can no longer remember, but the long and short of it was that nothing worked. Then one day out of the blue, the trackpad started working normally for the most part. The freezing ceased, but I would still have these random movements of my pointer when I wasn't anywhere near the trackpad. Today, something happened that may explain that, and I wonder if you or your listeners may have run into it before. I was working on the MacBook Pro in my kitchen on the first floor when I noticed a quick message flash on the screen that the mouse connection had been lost. I don't use a mouse on my computer. However, in my office on the second floor, I have an iMac that uses a magic mouse. Sometimes my husband will be on the iMac upstairs when I'm on the MacBook Pro downstairs. Who knew the range on that mouse was that good? While I sit here typing now, I see that mouse repeatedly losing and reestablishing the connection, which means at times it's connected to my machine and could have been responsible for controlling the pointer. Uh, do you know if if you have competing inputs, whether the native trackpad or the Bluetooth mouse would take priority? Like it's time to start turning off the mouse upstairs when not in use or turning off the Bluetooth on the MacBook Pro. But both could prove difficult if both of us are working and need those services. OK, so uh, let's answer a couple of questions here, Nicole. Number one. Uh, yes, it is possible that, uh, an external Bluetooth mouse could cause these problems. Um, it, in, uh, in Snow Leopard, you can check this. It, it you, you can actually tell the system whether, when a, when an external device is connected, whether or not you want, uh, the, the, the internal trackpad. Now, of course, this only applies to laptops that have internal trackpads. Uh, you can decide whether or not you want the internal trackpad to still function. And the reason they do this is because a lot of people find that they're grazing across the trackpad or what have you. And so if you use an external mouse, you might want to completely disable the uh, the internal one. And uh, and it's possible in uh, in all versions of the OS uh, in Snow Leopard. It is in uh, system preferences, universal access, mouse and trackpad. And there's a checkbox that says. Ignore built-in trackpad when, and there's actually two of those, and one of them says when mouse or wireless trackpad is present. So that is one. Uh, that That's how you do it in Snow Leopard. John, in, in Lion, uh, I believe it. you said it's one level deeper. Is that right? Yes. So you have universal access, mouse and trackpad, and then you will see a button there, trackpad options, dot, dot, dot. Okay. And the option that you mentioned is, is buried there. Okay. So. Uh, but you know, the, the thing is, if in fact that was causing, it, it seems strange to me that it, that this would be happening, but we've heard of stranger things. So it's, uh, it's not that strange. Uh, but what you would do is it sounds like you would never want to use this mouse, uh, with that particular computer. And so the way you, you would deal with this is you just go into system preferences and Bluetooth and find that device, because if it's controlling your computer or even has the ability to control your computer, it's going to need to be paired with it. 
And what you need to do is just find that device in the Bluetooth uh, system preference pane and remove it. And that will unpair it from your computer. And then you're good to go. You uh, you shouldn't your computer should no longer respond regardless of how close that mouse is, how whether or not Bluetooth is on. Uh, your computer is fully capable of ignoring Bluetooth devices that you have not specifically told it to pay attention to. Would you agree with that there, John? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I rarely use the, uh, the magic mouse. Oh, so you don't use any Bluetooth devices. I thought your pointing device was Bluetooth, but uh, no, Nope. No, You're what probably do I have that's Bluetooth. Yeah. I got a mouse and I think I have, which I don't use too often, but I have a, uh, uh Motorola Bluetooth, uh, earpiece, but I, I rarely use that. I usually uh, plug a, a headset, wired headset in. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Uh, let's move on to Brian. Brian writes, I have a MacBook purchased in October 2007 uh, with a 2.16 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo processor, one gigabyte of RAM and running Lion. Uh, my computer has increasingly been running slower and slower over the past couple years, and I'm sure it could use a RAM upgrade. Do you know how much RAM I could put on this machine and how many sticks I should buy? For example, if it has two slots and can max out at four gigs of RAM, should I buy two two gig sticks or buy one four gig sticks and leave, stick and leave the other slot empty? I'm also considering cost. I plan on purchasing a new Mac, either an Air, a MacBook Pro or an iMac around the summer because I'm looking forward to using Lion and iCloud. I guess he's actually on Snow Leopard, even though he said Lion earlier. Uh, and he says, uh, I'm looking forward to using Lion and iCloud, and I don't believe the laptop I have now would handle either very well. When I eventually do get the new computer, I do plan on still keeping my current model around as a spare and perhaps as portable if I end up buying an iMac. Would it be worth it to upgrade my current computer in the meantime, and where could I find reliable but affordable RAM? And he also goes on to say, I'm a novice at installing RAM and unsure of how to do it. Do you have a re recommended link of a how-to video online? All right, John, why don't you... Uh, why don't you take this one? And, and there's quite a few things in, in Brian's question to discuss. So, so I'm sure we'll pass it. Back. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I can keep track of all of this. So I know. So one place you could go to learn about the, uh, the specs for your machine is support.apple.com slash specs. But that's not where I went. No, so you can't go there if you want. <laughs> uh, though, though that is a one-stop shop for specs on pretty much every Apple device ever, ever. So, uh, what I use though, Dave, is my favorite utility to keep track of what uh, not only MacBooks, but pretty much any Apple device, its specifications. And this is something called Mac Tracker. And you can find this at MacTracker.ca, uh, Canada, I guess. Yep. Um, amazingly, it's free. Um, it's donationware. I've, I've thrown the guy a few bucks because, quite honestly, it really helps, uh, really helps me figure out things like this. So, I took the machine in question and identified it. And uh, as far as I can tell, what he has is a MacBook 13 inch mid 2007. Yeah. And according to Mac tracker, uh, well, if you listen to Apple, you can get two gigs of RAM. Um, if you listen to Mac tracker, and this is where it was, it was almost, but not quite right. Well, it was right in the sense that this particular Mac, if you load it up with more memory, at most, you can see three gigabytes. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Hmm. You know, so what? You put a two and a one in there. Yeah. But then I actually went to our friends at Mac Sales and clarified the situation. Now, the first thing you want to do uh, whenever you're looking 
to find out about RAM on your Mac is you probably want to get the model ID. And this is something that you can find if you go to About This Mac, More Info, or go into the System Profiler. If you click, if you start System Profiler and then click on Hardware, you will see an item here, Model Identifier. And this is pretty much what any of the memory vendors are going, going to want to know in order to help you uh, get the right chips. So what uh, the folks at Mac Sales actually say for this machine is what you can do is you can actually put in four gigabytes worth and they have a little caveat. So that's why I directed them to max sales. So there's a little caveat in that if you put in two, two gig chips, it will still only see three gigs of Ram, but what you're going to benefit from is what, what is called interleaving. Uh, so it's kind of weird. So, so, so there is a benefit. So, so I think you could put in a two and a one, that's what that's what I had in you know in our our original MacBook Pros that had the Core Duo and not the Core Two Duo. We we were in right. a similar situation. I just did a two and a one. Yeah, yeah. right. So um, so if you get a two and a two, then I think then you will get a slight better. And I don't think it costs you too much more to do, get a two and a two that's instead of a two true. and a one. That's probably true these days. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the pricing I found for for uh, two twos, I think it was like under seventy dollars. So in my opinion, it's worth it. So get the two twos. You'll benefit from the interleaving, which gives you a wider memory bus. I think it gives you a 128 bit memory bus uh, with interleaving. And then Mac Tracker also linked to an article, though, uh, annoyingly, we've been having this problem with Apple pages. For, yeah, this particular page here, I, I still can't bring it up here, but I Try, did find I, a YouTube. I found a, I, I had that problem earlier today where in Safari, no matter what I did, I couldn't bring up Apple uh, support pages, but they would come up fine in Firefox. Which is really kind of ironic now that I think about it. But uh, oh, that's but, disturbing. But try that because that, the, yeah, I had no success. The reload trick was not working for me earlier. Oh, let's see here. All right. Yeah. Complain, uh, Safari complains about redirects. And yeah. nope, actually, Firefox complains about that as well. Firefox is try, try reloading the server. Now, now that you're in Firefox, reload because I was able to get it to come up, but nope. never in, in Safari. Okay. Nope. All right. No, it's not coming up anywhere. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, I did find a YouTube video that instructs you how to replace the RAM on this. And it's a nice, it's a nice video. And I think it's common to all MacBooks and that the MacBooks, unlike some of the other Macs, do not have a, a handy little door, uh, or at least the machines that you and I have, Dave, right. have a little door that wow. you, uh, you screw off and then you, you put the RAM in there. Speak, this speak machine. Yourself. I, oh, I have a MacBook right. Air. So. Oh, haha, okay. Well, the MacBook Air, uh, what, what you get is what you get. Right. That's right. As far yeah. as I know. Uh, you, no, but no, but yes, it's, it's much easier to just buy it from Apple with the RAM you want. Right. So this machine, uh, from what I could see in the video, you pull the battery and then I think you got to remove three screws and there's a bracket that you pull out. And when you, when you remove the bracket, you will then see, uh, where the two memory chips in this machine are. It, it's and actually so pretty easy. It's, it's, it's really not that bad. I mean, they do have a door. It's just right. It's underneath the battery. Of course, there are picture guides on ifixit.com. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah. So at most, you may need a uh, you know some needle nose in order to pull the chips out of there. Uh, well, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't pull chips. Yeah, they come out. out there's the actually there's. I've just was dealing. Oh, you with can pull the them out. Day. There's two little levers. You push on them and they snap. Oh, them. oh, they, they got levers. Right 
Yeah, and I, I think the I, video showed that. Okay, I, I would so. actually hold off. I, I, just to offer this, I, I would not at all advise using needle nose on chips because you'll snap them. I, I tried it once years ago, and and on RAM chips, it's a really it's a dangerous thing because you 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 can apply yeah. way too much torque to those things Baby. on it. On it, well, I mean, you're applying all that torque <clears throat> on a tiny little spot, whereas with your fingers, you know, what right. could go wrong? Yeah, use exactly. all right. Use a gentle hand. Don't don't yeah. don't destroy things like Dave. That's but, right. Um, do what no, I you, say, you, not what I do. <laughs> right, and actually, now that I think about it, when uh, when Duffy and uh, when when we went in his uh, in in the iMac that he brought over recently, I believe that also had some sort of button or lever or something. Yeah. So yeah, you wouldn't have to resort to another tool. So uh, yeah. yeah, so at at most you're going to need. Uh, I think the only thing in the video the guy said you're probably going to need a pretty small Phillips head. Um, that makes sense. Double zero. So, in my opinion, which, which one, you can also one, get from iFixit. Yes. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, there are a number of vendors for the memory. Um, from what I saw, again, Max Sales has it, and I think Max Sales also uh, offers for most memory uh, a small rebate. So if you send them your old chip, um, you know they'll give you a few bucks for that. Yeah. So it'll help lower the cost as well. And, and I've done that in the past. So. Uh, in my opinion, it's worth it. Uh, to me, one gig uh, under Snow Leopard or Lion is is way too little, and and I, I'm not surprised that he's seeing sluggish performance. I, I think that's too little for any Mac. I think three is I'd prefer four at the very least, but I think you'll be able to get by with three. If yeah, you're and careful I, about management. I think if you're okay with Snow Leopard with three, I think you'd be okay with Lion with three. Uh, I I would. I would not hesitate to jump that machine to line. I'm pretty sure it supports it. It's a, it's a core two duo. So it, it's got 64 bit in theory. Uh, so yeah, I would, I, I would, I would say that, you know, lion and iCloud would probably work on that machine, but don't let that stop you from getting a new Mac. Cause that's always fun. You know, add it, just add it to your, uh, to your deal there. Hey, uh, John, I wanted to tell you about our, our first sponsor for this show. Oh, Great. Which is uh, a sponsor we've had for a long time. Smile at smilesoftware.com. They just came out with PDF pen for iPad. And man, this is yet another one of those things where it's really easy to talk about it as a sponsorship because it's something that I'm already finding myself using. Uh, it is PDF pen on the iPad. It's uh, it it's nearly full as full featured as the Mac version. Uh, and what's really cool is you can take stuff from the Mac version and, and you got to update to the latest and it happens internally on the Mac version uh, and save it to iCloud. And then you can pull up that same document in PDF pen right on your iPad without really having to think about how it got there. Uh, obviously, it got there with iCloud, but uh, but that's the beauty of iCloud is they've got this this whole syncing thing worked out. And just like you can on the Mac, you can add text, you can fix typos, you can make corrections. Uh the, really, the only things you can't do are OCR and redaction. Uh, that, those are the only things that aren't built into the PDF engine that uh, that they're using on on the iPad. But, you know, you can correct text, which is really cool to be able to highlight some text on the iPad and then and then uh, and then change it. If you've got some stuff edits you need to make on the fly, of course, you can annotate and all of that stuff, too. They are uh, right now they're selling it for nine ninety nine. In uh, in the app store, so uh, so definitely go check it out. There's uh, there there's some great information on the web at smilesoftware.com/geek. That'll bring you right to uh, PDF Pen for iPads page there at Smile, and uh, and I hope you go check it out. And if you do buy it, 
go and review the app. Just like we ask you to review the podcast, you know, in the iTunes store, go and review, review the app and, and, and tell them what you think about it and, uh, and share your feedback. They, they do really appreciate that. And it's, uh, it is something just like it uh, is something that helped us as new podcasters. It helps them with their new app. And, uh, and so they ask you to do that. And I ask you to do that too. PDF pen for iPad nine ninety nine in the app store. And you can learn all about it at smilesoftware.com slash geek. All right. Uh, let's go to Simon. This was an interesting thing. Simon and I had an email exchange, uh, I think leading into Macworld Expo and it was this big back and forth, but, uh, I, I will, I will explain Simon's question initially and, uh, and then we'll talk about what the eventual solution, uh, that, that, uh, that I think we've got for him is he says, uh, I have a question, which because of the nature of its complexity is quite difficult to describe in a Google search. I have a large folder, eight gigabytes worth, which contains a program that I have made full of PDFs and HTML documents, all of which are accessed through hyperlinks from one file to another. Uh, my goal was to get this eight gigabyte folder onto my iPad too. Now I've got 64 gigs on it, so I should have plenty of room. Synchronizing with Dropbox works fine, but of course Dropbox does not let me run any of the links from the file. So I open the main HTML file and none of the links work inside the Dropbox app. Plan two was to drop the folder into a suitable app in the iTunes main window for the iPad, but that didn't work either because you can't drop folders in there, only files. My final idea was to use GoodReader. I use the Dropbox server sync within Goodreader and presto, the initial few files work and hyperlinks run great. But here's the issue. It has taken three days to synchronize just 450 megabytes of the folder and Goodreader has basically ground to a halt. It won't open now unless I completely shut it down and then when I open it, it will take about an hour to sync another 10 megabytes. Maybe Goodreader wasn't designed to handle large amounts of data. Can you think of any other program that will run hyperlinks from HTML documents and allow import into the iPad, preferably via a wired connection? Okay, so uh, the answer is is very close here, Simon. It is Goodreader that that is the app you want to use because it it allows you to see these PDFs and HTML and hyperlinks and it it supports folders and you can browse the folder structure. It's totally built to do what you want to do. And actually, you know, John, as an aside, when I travel, I, I actually use Goodreader to watch movies because it's really easy to manage what I have in there. I can pull it down from Dropbox. I can pull it down from the web. I can copy things in and we'll get to how I do that. Uh, but it's really a great, really full um uh, full featured app that just is very, very flexible with what you can do with it. You just dump stuff in and it, it, uh, it does what it's supposed to do with them. So I mentioned that I copy files into Goodreader. Well, I use an app that's not easy to find. Uh, it's called uh, Goodreader USB, uh, no spaces. The trick is it, to find it. You will not find it on the Mac app store and you don't even find it linked from Goodreader's homepage it's weird you have to go to goodyware g-o-o-d-i-w-a-r-e dot com slash usb and then there's the links to it and you can download it just fine and this works really well it lets you copy folders in you're not doing it over the network so there's no weirdness with the connection or the thing going to sleep or whatever you just usb to your mac you copy the stuff over simon has tried this and it indeed worked perfectly for what he needed to do so if you need to get a folder of stuff over to the ipad goodreader is the app to use and Goodreader USB is the app to use on your Mac to get that stuff there. So, uh, so that's 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 my uh, that's my story with this with Simon. It was a very interesting little tale of of uh, 
Well, it wasn't woe. It was a tale of great success and joy. And there was much celebration. Joy. That's right. We love the joy. So you still don't have an iPad, right, John? You're, you're not, you're not in, in the club yet, as we, as we like to say. <sighs> Slow down, man. You're pushing me too hard. Dude. I know. We just got you on Flickr See, today. I just, <laughs> I just dumped iWeb and mobile me. You can't put it. Um, no, no iPad yet. All right. Uh, I don't know if I, I see a need. I got the iPhone. I know. I know. That's true. That's, that was huge. I know. And actually, I do have not one, not two, not three, but four cloud-based services uh, on my iPhone. Um, oh. I wonder if any of the... Now, Dropbox was mentioned, and I think Dropbox you can use... Uh, and Dropbox is also smart in that I think you can do local land syncing. Yeah, yeah so but his a, problem with that was you couldn't do hyper, hyperlinks okay. inside, inside the Dropbox app, right? That, oh, and that's okay. the issue is... Of course, on your Mac, you can use Dropbox to sync, and then Safari can point at that folder. I see, I see. On the on iOS, every file is you know sandboxed, and so you know you can't have Safari on iOS pointing to your Dropbox folder because that's just not how it works. But I mean, the idea here is wasn't the idea that there was a desire to click on a URL and yeah, exactly. And that's what he was able to do inside of Goodreader. I the see. The question was just okay. how to get the data there and Goodreader to be fair, like he said, syncs with Dropbox, but not very easily for folders. It's, um, it, it, all right. It's kind of, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll have to try this because, uh, I mean, the others that I use are box, pogo plug and sugar sync, all of which have iDevice clients. And I'm not sure how, smart each one of those are as far as you know parsing a, a url or yeah. allowing you to to launch one so yeah i'll have to fiddle more i haven't re- really done a lot of file syncing i've just installed the apps and sure yeah, it yeah is we'll to, we, we should we'll we'll have to dig into that a, a bit more at some point uh, again i got four just because they all offered free space sure it's like why the heck not yep yep uh okay so uh phil wrote in and Late last week, Apple released Airport Utility 6, and much has been written about it. I think I think our own John Martellaro kind of summed it up very nicely when he said <laughs> that uh, Airport Utility 6 for Lion is for beginners. And the issue is that there are many, <laughs> many features that previously were available in Airport Utility that are gone now uh, in version 6. But the good news, as Phil points out, and of course, John uh, Martellaro pointed this out in his article, too, is... Uh, well, Airport Utility 6 is handy and and certainly represents what Apple likes to do where you've got this unified interface that looks very similar when you move from iPad to uh, iPhone to Mac OS now. Uh, there are features that are missing and there are things that it can't do. But the good news is you can download uh, what's now called Airport Utility 5.6 uh, and that will let you have access to all these old features, albeit in the old interface, which... Some of you may even prefer, although I have to say the old interface of airport utility was really kind of quirky and, and getting in there to do things. It, it was second nature to those of us that had been doing it for years, but not very easy. Uh, you know, you'd have to highlight it and then you couldn't double click. You had to click setup, and sometimes it went one way and sometimes it went the other and you had to know and it was kind of a pain. But <laughs> Phil says, keep a copy of airport utility 5.6 with you. Uh, he says, uh, I noticed that Apple has removed a function from the Airport Express on the 6.0 utility. It says it looks like they have removed the ability to set allow Ethernet clients uh, from 6.0. Phil says, I use this because at the hotel I stay at, the Wi-Fi signal is stronger at the window. 
I connect my Ethernet cable to my Airport Express and use it like I'm wired. So kind of in a backward setup, using the Wi-Fi connection to grab the Internet and then sharing it over Ethernet. He says, I recommend keeping a 5.6 installed, but don't get caught. Uh, he says there are some things like the show passwords option in version six that he likes. So I think I think Phil's right. Uh, you know, Apple has now forked the development here of this. And there are some things in six that are good. And some things that uh, that that are missing, John. You're you're cracking yourself up over there. Tell us what's so funny. They dumb dumbed it. <laughs> I looked at it and I'm like, oh no, it looks like on the iDevice, oh, man. But yeah, some of the stuff that's missing that that I found particularly useful, and this is it, uh, mostly for wireless diagnostics. But for example, one thing which you kind of had to do the hokey pokey to get to, in that um. On the old utility, if you clicked, uh, if you went to the summary screen, so airport summary, and then you clicked on wireless clients, right? It would show you all connected clients, including interesting things like their signal strength, their signal to noise ratio, and the negotiated uh, wireless rate, and the type of radio and the MAC address. And and again, for diagnosing problems or seeing what the base station thinks is happening in the world, uh, as far as I know, that's one of the big features that is just gone. It's not there anymore. Right. Right. And I think DHCP clients is another one. So there's one screen that is useful for, for propeller heads like, like you and I and the listeners. Yeah. Um, but you don't see, I, yeah, I don't know why they did that or why, why couldn't they have put a switch in there saying, okay, you want dumb, dumb mode or you want, you know, Mac geek mode or, or something. Well, but you know, I know. well, I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit harsh, dumb, dumb, but, but it, it's like, I look at it and like, I'm like, oh no, it's pretty. So that means they must've removed something. Yeah, but, but this is not new, right? We've seen Apple do this before. Uh, they've they've done it with, well, let's see, QuickTime, right? Uh, iMovie, Final Cut Pro. Uh, they hid the library folder from us. So Lion, in a general sense, gets this, right? And uh, and Safari even, you know, we used to be able to manipulate cookies and, and see what cookies were were left behind. Now you can't. That, that's been removed from the no. UI. Right. You have to, uh, yeah, you have to, I think you have to use another utility, right? Or, or I know there's a way to do it. I, Is I know there? We, I, I, yeah, I hadn't, I just, when I need to do cookie diagnosis, I go in and use uh, Firefox because that, oh, all right. it's still right there. <sighs> so, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is definitely the way Apple is pushing things and that's okay. It, uh, it gives us a reason for being here. It, it you know, we, uh, we, we, <laughs> We still have to know all the tricks and uh, and we learn yeah. them together. So thank you, Phil, for the uh, for the email. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. How are we doing on time here? Uh, let's see. Let's do um, Jesse. No, that's sort of a edge case thing. Uh, oh, no. All right. Fine. Uh, all right. Prove to me it's not an edge case thing. Here we go with Jesse. <sighs> all right. Here we go. Uh, Dave and John, this is Jesse. I've been having this frustrating issue with a few files on my Drobo FS that will not delete correctly. I'm almost positive it's a permissions issue because when I try to delete it, it tells me the operation can't be completed because an unexpected error occurred. I've been doing some cleaning of these old files and it will just not let me change the file name or delete it. I tried to go into get info inspector to change the permissions to you to my user and allow read and write ability. You sure this isn't an edge case here? Uh, allow read and write abilities. But then again, uh, there again, I run into the permissions issue. I read that there is a padlock button that I should be clicking to give me administrator access, but I don't have any such button in my get info inspector. 
I've tried to remove these files using terminal using a the RM command from the terminal, but it says I have an invalid argument. Is there anything I can do to delete this stuff or am I forced to leave it there forever? And uh, and and uh, the one thing I skipped was he says the uh, error code he gets is negative 50. Mr. Braun. Wow, this is a really itch. No, it's not. Because, no, this is going to, I'm going to explain to you. I'm going to convince you, Dave. Now, one, you could find out what negative 50 means. The floor, my friend, is yours. Yes, it is. All right. Well, first, you could find out what negative 50 means. We've we've mentioned this before. We'll mention it again in case you're new. You go in the terminal and you type Mac error space negative 50. And it tells you, I mean, it's very descriptive. Error in user parameter list. It's like, oh, come on. It's useless. All right. But here's the, no, but I solved this problem because I had this problem too. And I did. The thing is, Dave, I don't think this is just a Drobo problem. Okay. I think it's an AFP problem. So that's why I think this is of general, more general interest than just Drobo owners. All right. So, so to back up here, there are a lot of network drives allow you to mount them using different protocols. And the one that is native to Apple is called AFP, uh, Apple file protocol. I think it is. That works for me. Now, the error that he was getting, or at least I had this problem as well, and I was getting an error. And uh, what came up eventually, I think it was in the finder, it was in an error log, and it said, something's wrong with the volume CNIDDB. Using temporary CNIDDB failed too. Check server messages for details. Can't recover. Uh, Okay, CNIDDB is some sort of structure that, that stores directory information. So what I found was a Drobo support article that explained how you can recreate this file. Uh, okay. which which they say is safe to do. And basically it involves you SSHing to the Drobo because the Drobo is actually a little Linux computer, which is kind of neat. And you SSH into it and then you remove uh, this invisible file. I think it's the, is the gist of this. And upgrading the 10.7.2 caused this. But then there was a line in the support article that made me think of a strategy that solved the problem because we got a note back saying what you suggested, John, worked. Oh, and I'm going to tell you what I suggested. So there's a line in here saying, oh, by the way, Typically, we're mounting via SMB, and SMB is the other protocol that a lot of network drives um, and, and Mac OS understands, and that's server message block, which is basically just another way of accessing a drive, and, uh, and usually Windows uses it. But what it said is typically we're mounting SMB via Finder or through a Windows host, the data appears intact and is accessible while using SMB, and I'm like, you know what? It may be crazy, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to connect to the Drobo. Uh, because I had the same error message with some files. I'm going to connect to the Drobo using SMB, and I'm going to try to delete the files. And you know what? It worked. It worked. That's awesome. <laughs> and and he wrote back, and uh, and I and I think that worked for him too. So I think the yeah, I don't think the the deleting this or recreating this directory structure, the CNID DB. He wrote back and said yes. Connecting via SMB. So anyone who has any sort of problems with an AFP or uh, Apple Share network drive, try to connect using SMB if the device supports it. And, uh, you know, it makes me nervous, though, that that works. Well, yeah, it indicates that there's something wrong with AFP, either AFP on the Drobo or AFP in general that uh, that makes it not want to work this way. Yeah, I mean, I haven't noticed any problems since, and and no other files have have evident this. So I'm not sure what caused it to to happen. Again, they they suggest Drobo suggests that that, that they changed something. You know, you know, I think we talked about this. Apple changed something subtle with AFP in in a Lion, which caused some trauma for some people. So, 
yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's go to Allison. Allison. Allison actually is uh, Allison from the Nozilla cast. Uh, and she came up and asked a question at Macworld Expo during show 377 about why her iTunes uh, would uh, essentially crash on sync. And uh, and we thought we, we thought, you know, a, tr- a good troubleshooting step, as we discussed, was turning off the auto syncing to see if iTunes would still crash when she just plugged it in, because that, you know, there's there there is some stuff that happens as soon as you plug it in. And so she did. She checked that little box that we discussed and it crashed and burned again and forced a reboot. So she did what you suggested, John. She down, downloaded Xcode and uh, launched spin control. And uh, when she ran it, she saw that there were two things that were spinning out of control, two things that were hung. And that was iTunes helper, which is no great surprise, and photo stream agent. Uh, and she says, so uh, while this is fun and entertaining and certainly points to that pesky iTunes helper app, app, what the heck do I do about it? I suppose I could kill it all over its stinky butt, but won't it just come back? I could have sworn it used to be an account's login items, but I don't see it listed there anymore. Maybe I don't have a choice about whether to let it launch or not anymore. Is an archive by app delete and a full delete reinstall in my future here? By now, it would have been less work than rebooting every day or two. And, uh, and there is a, a point at which Phishing is uh, is not as good as cutting bait and just moving on. But uh, we like to keep fishing here because it's what we do. Otherwise, we just answer every question with format you drive. Thank you very much. Uh, but we don't do that. So uh, iTunes helper is stored inside the iTunes application bundle. And uh, and so what you know, what my feeling would be was. Well, let's let's get a new copy of iTunes on there and or rather let's get a new copy of iTunes helper on there, which I would do by deleting iTunes and then redownloading it from Apple.com. Uh, so that that would be one one thing to try, because that gets that iTunes helper out of the way. The other thing is uh, photo stream agent is actually part of iPhoto. Now, iPhoto also has a uh, a portion of it that monitors what's connected and will uh, trigger a camera import when you connect a camera and the iPhone and the iPad and even an iPod touch now uh, are all treated by the system like cameras because, well, that's one of the things that they are. So uh, reinstalling iPhoto to get a new copy of photo stream agent out there would be good. Now, why photo stream agent would be causing this problem doesn't really make any sense. But uh, but in this case, it is easier just to put a new copy of it out there because it's uh, it's something you can do in a pretty targeted way. So uh, so those would be my two. Those would be my next two things to try. You have anything to uh, to add to Allison? I'm sure. In fact, I am certain we will hear back from Allison on this because that's just how Allison is. And, and we love her nope. for that. All right. Nope. All right. I'm going to set up a filter. <laughs> you don't think we'll hear back from Allison once you set up. Oh. a filter? Yeah, I'm going to filter my, I'm going to filter um, all of the email that um, if you did want to send us email, Dave, I think you'd send it to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. No, 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 no. Allison, please send it to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. As long as she doesn't send it to feedback at MacGeekGab.com, because then I'm going to filter it out. That's right. 
Yes. Everything sent to feedback at MacGeekGab.com will be filtered out, except for you premium listeners, which can send to premium at MacGeekGab.com. Of course, you can also send email uh, by way of a phone message. Or did I say that backwards? Uh, You can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is? 4335. That's right. Uh, And we will get that actually via email, which is kind of cool. You can also Skype us to MacGeekGab. And that, too, we will get via email uh, in the form of a voice message. And we mm-hmm. certainly like that. You can record voice messages on your iPhone and send them just straight via email uh, or record them via your Mac. And that works fine, too. And uh, uh, really, well, you can find us on Twitter, Mac Geek Gab, John F. Braun, Pilot Pete, Dave Hamilton, of course, Mac Observer, all on Twitter and on Facebook. John, how do they find us on Facebook? Facebook.com slash Mackie, yeah. There we go. And that's that's good. it's it's growing daily. That's right. Um, I have one final suggestion for Allison, though. But oh, I couldn't yeah. I, I couldn't help to to just mix things up and yeah, go put the contact info in the middle there rather that's than right. at the end because you know that's right. It's just boring if it's always the same. Uh, the one final thing, Dave. I don't know if it'll fix it, but it's worth looking at. We've explored this before. Now, you remember our old pal sync services, and I still think there are remnants of it buried. It's running all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. There is a utility. I'm wondering if she has a corrupted sync services entry. Could be. And how would you find that, Dave? Well, is sync services triggered when an iDevice is simply connected to your Mac? I mean, it's well, well, what? Well, what I see, Dave, and this is why I'm offering this as a suggestion. May want to try this. Uh, Sync services, from what I can see, and and there's a utility that lets you look at the sync services database. And fortunately, since Allison downloaded X tools, she should have this, and it's called. Synchrospector, S-Y-N-C-R-O-S-P-E-C-T-O-R. And and it's Xcode, not Xtools, but I, I know that's what you meant. And Xcode, oh, is, Xcode yes. is free. And, so and this utility lets you look at all of the various things that are registered, as far as I can tell. The, the, the purpose of this is to let you see all the various items registered with sync services. And this can be programs or applications well when you run the utility you will see there is a column that says type and one type is application but another is device and i actually have and and i'm wondering if she has a device entry in there that's corrupt so what you may want to do is highlight it and unregister it and then when you plug the device in again maybe it'll re-register it of course make a backup before you do this but but if you're gonna fiddle with sync services so first off do not delete any folders or anything as as we've pointed out in the past that is a sure that's a recipe for disaster right if you're gonna touch sync services use this program and what you can do is highlight the device and it should be listed and actually just to show you what cruft is still in there dave i still have an entry here for john's crazer k1m yeah, dude, you need to do a clean install. <laughs> no, <laughs> never. But it still has my Crazer, which is, is a phone I no longer use. But there's still an entry. Wait, wait. Do you still have your Crazer? Uh, it's sitting around somewhere. It's okay. a, I, I think it's well, I, I decommissioned it. I, you know, the, the of course, the, I think you can. Uh, yeah, the, the, it doesn't work anymore. All right. Yeah, you can. I, I I may send it off for recycling or something like yeah. that. But I got it kicking around. You know, the one thing I liked about it was it was a clamshell phone. It's still, the thing that makes me nervous about the iPhone. We should make a clamshell iPhone. Have you broken your iPhone yet? 
Not yet. Okay. No. I got a <laughs> nice case for it. Gor- um, Gorilla Glass is good stuff. Uh, you know what? I don't think Apple has ever admitted that that's what they use, nor will that, Corning. 100, 100%, when I've, 100%. They both have admitted that that's what they use. Oh, that's yeah. weird because I went to a show once and I asked the person, he's like, oh, I'm not allowed to say. I'm yeah, like, no, oh, no, come it's, on. it's definitely Gorilla Glass came back because Apple wanted to use it. Oh, yeah. And I think they're it's coming out with question. a new new version with more gorillas in it. That's right. Gorilla Glass Gorilla 2 Glass or something two. that they were yeah talking about last month. All right. Yeah. So if you see it, delete that entry. It, it may help. I, that's the only thing I can think of. Cool. All right. Uh, I want to talk about our second sponsor for this show, which is Barebones Software at barebones.com and BB Edit, which you can get to at bbedit.com or at barebones.com. BB Edit is, and it is like the granddaddy end all be all of text editors uh, on the Mac. Fantastic. It's been around for a long time, but that doesn't mean that these guys rest on their laurels. They keep adding stuff to it. They keep doing things with it. And especially with version 10, they keep dropping the price. Uh, it's now just 50 bucks. It used to be, Oh my, I think it used to be 200 bucks. Even when they started advertising here, I think it was 200 bucks, but now it's just 50 bucks. You can buy it in the Mac app store. You can buy it at BB edit or barebones.com. Uh, very cool things in, in version 10. They've got Dropbox support, which is one thing I really like. Uh, you can, Put your BB Edit application support data into your Dropbox, and uh, and then BB Edit will use that so that you've got all your same stuff on on multiple machines. Uh, it supports Lions Resume in an awesome way. Uh, so, and this is actually a feature that BB Edit's had for a while, but now it it does it natively with Lion that when you relaunch the app, everything comes back open just the way you had it before. Uh, very very cool. When you open code, and when I say code, we could mean something really geeky like, you know, Objective-C, but it can also be HTML or even JavaScript kind of in the middle there. Uh, When you open this up, it automatically figures out what type of code it is, i.e. what language it's in, and then it fills in and highlights everything. Now, it doesn't mess with your code. Your code is still exactly uh, text and, and not messed with at all but on the screen it displays it with colors and you can fold up uh, functions and and easily move things around very very cool uh bb edit also uh allows you to uh search replace and even edit files that are that live within zip archives so if you've got something inside a zip archive you can dig in you don't have to unzip it manually and then rezip it when you're done you just edit it and it stays in there and rezips uh automatically when you're finished and uh, and lastly, you know, then this is something that they've had for a while, but but I, I hate to uh, I hate to overlook it. Command line tools. We've talked about it recently, even as part of the show. But uh, but once you have BB edit installed, you can install the command line tools. Now, if you've downloaded it from their site, this will be an option presented to you when you first uh, launch it. If you've downloaded from the Mac App Store, you have to go and get the command line tools from the site because Apple doesn't allow command line tools in the App Store. But they all still work the same once you get them and and they're free from the site. So, you know, you're not paying any extra or anything if you do it that way. Uh, You go to the terminal and if you find a file that you want to edit in the terminal, you say you just type BB edit and then the name of the file or the path to the file and it opens it up in BB edit and you can edit it there. And then when you say save, it saves it right back out to where it was in the uh, in the terminal. So it's like a fully featured mouse capable menued 
editor right there for the terminal because it's BB edit. So you can check it all out. 50 bucks, 49.99 even at uh, barebones.com. And of course you can download a free trial to convince yourself that this definitely is the right thing for you. Uh, all right. Uh, we've got a couple of tips and then, and then some cool stuff found. Uh, Joe actually has a very interesting thing to share with us. And, uh, and so Joe, take it away. Hey guys, uh, Joe here from, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I think I may have already even called in on this show, <laughs> uh, but this is uh podcast 376 and you guys were addressing a question as far as scanning business cards. Uh, and, uh, John went through and mentioned a couple of the resources that could do this that were dedicated, you know, for, for a Mac, uh, and, uh, you know, at about a $200 price point. And it occurred to me that for pretty close to $200, you could get you an iPod Touch and use your little Prismo app and had all these other features and capabilities uh, that you wouldn't have if you got the dedicated reader. Plus, it's portable. So, you know, it's with you wherever you are. Uh, and another comment along that is I actually use a little app uh, on the iPhone uh, called World Card, which I find to have been the best of these dedicated business card readers. It does all the same stuff that you were talking about. Uh, I think I've only ever had about one card out of a 100 that I had to manually go in and type something that it misread it. It has an anti-shake mode so that, you know, it waits till you quit moving before it takes the shot, which assists in the OCR. And it has a neat little feature. I've seen this in some other apps that allows you to organize the visual of the business card in a kind of like a Rolodex file organized by either name of the company or name of the person or whatever. So if you're visually oriented, you know, you can flip through that way, but it still puts it inside your uh, address book too. So if you're syncing it with your Mac then, that, you know, you get everything there. Uh, and I just think buying a dedicated card reader for a business card is probably a really bad idea. So uh, anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out. You cut me off here. We will. Thanks, Joe. That Yeah, that's an interesting concept that, uh, you know, yeah, if, if, certainly if you already have the iPod Touch or iPhone or, or whatever, you've, uh, you, you're halfway there or more than halfway there. And that uh, world card is seven bucks, six ninety nine in the app store, because uh, I always like to look up prices for things that, clar- that uh, qualify rather as cool stuff found. Uh, all right. Moving to Eddie. Eddie had a comment uh, about 377 and then uh, and then had a little question that I'm sure John and I are going to want to discuss. Hey, guys, it's Eddie in Tacoma. Uh, just got through listening to the Macworld Live podcast, and I had a couple of quick uh, addendums to put answers that you gave to a couple of people. Hopefully they're still listening. I had the exact same problem with the shutdown that the one gentleman did where it just goes to the white screen and it just refuses to go any further. And what I found my problem was it was an external hard drive. Uh, it was a phantom green drive that apparently would go to sleep. And when you tried to shut down the computer, for some reason, it wouldn't wake up to be unmounted. Uh, I ended up taking the drive out of the enclosure and putting it in one of my Hackintoshes and it works fine. I'm guessing it's the chipset in the actual enclosure. It may not be a specific problem to that manufacturer. It may, you know, that chipset may be used in multiple places. So it might be an external hard drive. Uh, the second one I had was about the gentleman who had the slow network. 
and if I remember correctly, I may not, uh, your network will default to the slowest device on the network and within the bandwidth you're using, you know, 2.45 gigahertz. Uh, so if you have a B piece of equipment on your network, and even though the uh, d- another device on the network is N-capable, uh, the network will default to the B speeds. May or may not be the problem, but uh, it's something to look at. Anyway, I uh, thank you guys for all the hard work you do and uh, enjoy the podcast. And this is where you cut me off. Thanks, Eddie. All right, let's work on this backwards here, John. So the network thing, th- this is a this is a an easy thing to misunderstand. Uh, the network will not slow down to the lowest common denominator. However, uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong on this, John, but but what it does is sometimes packets are delayed. Uh, for the faster devices, if a slower device is actively communicating uh, on on the same, uh, you know, on the same wireless network, but it, but it won't just it, it, with the presence of a, say an 802.11b device, it won't slow an end network all the way down to 11 megabits a second. It, that's, that's not what's going to happen. Correct, John? Um, Correct. Okay. We've discussed it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. As, as you're pointing out, yeah, if slower devices are on the network. The, the other thing I want to mention is that if you put the access point into uh, compatibility mode, which it would have may, to be. Right. Then you may, then, then you probably won't be getting the maximum bandwidth. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. So, for example, I have the uh, time capsule 802.11n. And as we mentioned, but I'll mention it again here the, in, in the show, if you go to your airport menu and you hold down option, you will see a number of characteristics of the base that you're connected to. And like, for example, here's what I see for mine. And here are the two important parts. So one is physical mode, and that's the protocol it's using. And it says 802.11n. Well, that's all well and good. Now, in theory, 802.11n will max out at, I think, 300 megabits or, or, or 240 or something like that. Okay. Uh, wait, wait, wait. 802.11n? N at 2.4 gigahertz. Uh, it goes uh, 100. And, how come I don't have this, this speed in front of me? It's 100 oh, plus. She's talking 100. frequency. Are you talking frequency or no, speed? Are you talking point? speed, John? Speed in megabits per second. 108 oh. megabits per second yeah. is, is 802.11n, regardless of um, whether it's 2.4 gigahertz or 5. Really? Yeah. Uh, I got something that, here. This I got something in front of me here that says three hundred. Well, uh, it can and and can go three hundred, right? If if you've got it happening in wideband and all of that stuff, that that's right. okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's here's right. the thing. I want. Yeah, here's that's a, true. But, all right. The, all right. The, the the frequency range doesn't dictate the frequency range right. all by itself does not limit right. or 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 expand upon the speed. Right. Right. The, the figure that I want to mention here, though. So, yeah, so I see physical mode 802.11n. Right. That isn't in and of itself is not enough to tell me what the uh, what the negotiated transmit rate is. Well, the nice thing is that right. that's in this list of parameters for the base station. So, for example, the one that I'm connected to it right now says transmit rate 130. OK, yeah. And I believe that changes. Right. So right, right now I'm, I'm that's right. So right now I'm right next to it. And I believe that number will change if you start getting far away and the signal starts getting kind of crummy. I think it, it'll, uh, that number will go down, should go down. 
So it could give you a, a, a sense of what's happening with your connection if you see that number is lower than you expect. Right. Right. All right. Cool. Uh, you know, as an aside, at uh, at CES, I, and I, I think I have this picture on my iPhone, so I'm going to try and find it. They uh, Buffalo had, ADA, they were showing an 802.11ac device. And uh, oh, that's the next big thing, right? It like is gigabit or something. Or? Well, they were showing it and it was going 802 megabits per second wireless right there in the hall uh, at uh, at CES. Now, this is still draft and uh, and it won't be released, I believe, until the summer is what Buffalo said. So we might even see it faster than that. But but yeah, I've got a picture right here of it going uh, 802.4 megabits wow. per second. Wow. So that, yeah, that was pretty cool to see that. That's, uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So working backwards uh, with Eddie's shutdown problems that, that thank you for sharing that, that tip external drive certainly could, uh, could cause that uh, in a question that we didn't dig into. Um, but, but the kind of the takeaway uh, is, is valuable here in talking about shutdown problems. Listener Bruce in a, in a bit of troubleshooting back and forth with us realized that, he was actually having shutdown problems because of Lions resume feature. And if he turned off that box, the open windows, when you restart box, uh, it, his computer shut down fine. Now, uh, John, I think you're going to tell us how to make sure that uh, is off by default. But, uh, but if you are having trouble, you know, and you want to clean out kind of those saved application states, they do live in a folder on your drive in home, library saved application state. So you can, you can find the stuff in there, but if you just want to turn that off so that every time you reboot, it's not trying to relaunch every app, John, tell them what they've won. Oh, rather tell them how to do it. There's no way to do it normally. Oh, so you have to do it weirdly, but I will tell you, yes, how to do it weirdly. So, okay. so I dug into this a little bit. So of course, as you know, if you hold down the power button, you'll, or you do other things, but holding that power button, you're going to see this dialogue that says, are you sure you want to shut down your computer? And there's a checkbox which says reopen windows when logging back in. And it's always checked. Now, of course, the always. one way to get around it always. Now, no, one no. way to get around it, of course, is to hit the space bar, which unchecks the, box. Right. unchecks the box. However, I found that there is no way to uh, uh, no nice way or Apple approved way. But I did found a cool little utility uh, by Victor and I can't pronounce it. So I'll link to it, but, but this guy found that there is a register or, or a terminal flag that you can set, but the problem is it doesn't persist. So he wrote a little Apple script and it's something called clean shutdown oh. that will tweak this value. And when you come to the shutdown, then the box will be unchecked and it looks like this is free and I see a little donate button. So if it's worth it to you to, you know, have this functionality where you don't have to get the restore thing and it potentially messes up your computer, then yeah. throw our friend Victor a few bucks here. You, you found it? Clean uh, shutdown? Well, no, I found somebody talking about the terminal command, but then like, like you said, it, it kind of, it doesn't persist. So you've got to yeah, redo it every time around. Yeah. I think it's T-A-L logout safe state equals one. I think that was, that was the one. Yeah. Something like that. So Yeah. <sighs> All right. And I'm wondering, I'm, I'm curious how he found, well, number one, I'm curious how he determined that that was the uh, problem because yeah, I, I was staring, I was staring, it was a Bruce. I, I was staring yeah. him in a totally different direction. Yeah. 
So I don't know if what, what I what I suggested to help him see what the computer was doing, which I think was verbose mode. Oh, or, absolutely. Take credit for it, John. It's good. Well, yeah. No, no, no. It's good. But no, I suggested two things. So number one, do verbose mode, because if you shut down, uh, when you, if you start it up in verbose mode, which uh, shows you all the nastiness in the terminal, you normally don't see. When you shut down, you should also see that as well. Maybe he noticed that there was a problem um, there. Or the other thing is that there is a, um, I think it's shutdown stall in the, in the slash log slash library, slash library slash slash log slash diagnostic reports. Um, there may be a report with a dot shutdown stall, I think it's called, uh, at the end of it. And that may list what is causing the machine to not shut down. There you go. So I don't know if he used one or both of those to find out, or if he just kind of used uh, Spidey instinct, sense. Spidey right. sense or mojo or whatever you want to call it. Uh, all right. So I have a couple of cool stuff founds on our list today. And, uh, and I have one of my own. In fact, we have several. We're not going to get to all of them. Uh, but, uh, but Kaz actually has kind of a cool one and it, uh, it solves a problem. You might not have known that you had, but that's kind of, one of the nice things uh, Kaz writes, he said uh, he was looking, he was at, it was actually the result of a question. He was looking for uh, a way to shoot. He, he was the one last week in the show where we were talking about using, uh, he wanted to, to display photos on his iPad uh, while shooting uh, from his camera. And, and we talked a lot about that. He found an interesting kind of workaround. He said that uh, you can use Lightroom 3 in dual screen mode. And then if you shoot tethered, meaning plugging your camera into your MacBook Pro, uh, you can set up AirPlay uh, to have the iPad or really any iOS device as your second screen. And so Lightroom 3 in, in dual screen mode, and then you use AirPlay to, uh, to set up uh, your iPad as your second screen. And as soon as you take a picture, boom, it'll uh, it'll show up right there on your iPad, which is pretty darn cool if you ask, ask me. And so he said uh, that he can use it because he can give his client the iPad so they can sit elsewhere in the room. He's taking pictures. They can see what the pictures look like, you know, in real time. Uh, and it's it's very cool. So there was a uh, a video uh, about this and, and we will uh, we will put it out there in uh, in the show notes because that's what we do. Uh, so thank you, Kaz. That was pretty, that was pretty cool. Uh, Dustin writes and, and Dustin actually is the author of, uh, of, of, a, of, a, of control plane, uh, which is something we mentioned recently And Dustin says control plane, of course, being the thing that took over from Marco Polo when uh, Marco Polo stopped working with lion, uh, Dustin worked on it, took the source code and, and reworked it into control plane. He said, uh, he also just released another free program called Tedium at TediumApp.com that manages, get this, multiple time machine backup destinations. So, you know, we talk a lot about backups and we've talked a lot about how time machine is uh, is flaky, but it's also, you know, a single point of failure. Well, if you wanted to have multiple time machine backups uh, happening, you can and it kind of uses some of the similar stuff that he's got going on with control plane, but it's very feature, very, very purpose built to allow you to have time machine backing up to two different places. And you can, you can set, uh, you know, you can set some parameters for when that happens and why it happens and all of that stuff. 
So, uh, and it is free and open source. So thank you, Dustin, for not only telling us about it, but for doing what you do and bringing that kind of stuff to, uh, to Mac users like us. We really do appreciate it, man. Uh, and then lastly, John, I have one of my own, uh, on Friday, Vern Seward wrote over for TMO about some panoramic photo apps and, uh, and some people in the comments talked about yet another one. And this app is awesome. It's called Photosynth, and it's free. Uh, and I'm going to tell you what it does. And then I'm going to tell you who made it, John, what you do with Photosynth is you open it up on your iPhone and then you kind of tap the screen to start the process of taking a panoramic picture. And then all you do is start moving your phone in the way you want to m- create your panoramic. Now you can go up and down and it's constantly tracking what your phone's camera is seeing and then adding that to this kind of all in one picture that it's going to assemble at the end. You're never clicking the button to say, take a picture so, now, take a picture now, take a picture. There's none of that. It's just this very smooth situation. Huh. Sounds and, like it's almost taking a movie and converting it to a picture. Though no, I don't know the details. It, yeah, it's not. You can see it kind of when it decides. Oh, oh, all right. Now I'll add a picture. Now I'll add a picture. It does. Because a lot of these, you got to be very precise in overlapping. And right. they're, they're, from what I've seen, a lot of these apps are very cumbersome to use because just it, it's kind of a hard problem, I think. Yeah, because you're right. You're solving a math problem and then and then letting the software sort of stitch it all together. But no, this sort of does it automatically and you just kind of, you know, move around and you move around slowly. You'll, you know, you kind of get a feel for how you got to do it. And then when you're done, you hit done and then it stitches it together and it even has a mode where it'll auto crop it down so that you're not left with funny edges and all that and it's free now ready guess who makes it microsoft ah! hey it man when it works it works and uh and you know ratings in the app store they've got like five stars it's awesome so wow, they're I, still making uh, they're still making stuff for the Mac. They're still in business. <laughs> I know. I, I know. It blew me away. It's awesome. Wow. I uh, Oh no, they 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 can't die overnight, Pete. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know how many people are running Windows out there? Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, boy, ain't that that's true. Right. Which is a good thing for us. That's right. It is. It is. No, so they got they got better, I must admit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's uh that's cool stuff found. Anybody else have a a cool stuff that they found this week that they want to uh, wow? Were you were you going on about some Pete? Well, I was just wondering if you wanted that uh, reset the SMC tip. We what is the SMC? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Tell us your Re- tale of woe. I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it quickly. The, yeah. the Reader's Digest version. But essentially, I repaired a computer for a friend. The backlight kept going dark, and uh, I troubleshot, and I got down to the idea that this thing was the uh, the inverter board on this MacBook. So I spent about three hours replacing the inverter board. Booted it back up, and boy, the light went out about 30, 45 seconds later, and I went, okay, that's a lot of time wasted. Yep, and so 50 bucks on a new inverter yeah. board. So I started looking at what else it could be, although I thought I'd been pretty thorough in my troubleshooting, and uh, came across the idea that maybe I should reset the uh, SMC, the system management controller, on the machine. Uh, I did that, and it works beautifully so probably should have done that first because that's just a matter of a few keystrokes and turning the machine off and and uh holding down the power in in this machine holding down the power button with the battery removed and unplugged uh 
So that's boy, a good. That's a good stupid. lesson. It no, is a good it, lesson, well, huh? you 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 took one for the uh, collective team here. Yeah, that's what you did yeah. because it it is a good reminder to all of us that there are a lot of things that appear of, to be hardware problems. Yeah, low level functions in there. That, right. Yeah. That that can be solved with an SMC reset or a PRAM reset or sometimes <sighs> both. Yeah. So yeah, it I and I've seen it a lot. Of course, it's not always the answer. Sometimes you need sure. a new motherboard, right? Yeah, but, absolutely. But uh, certainly before you before you buy hardware uh just try it what's the harm well i think yeah. especially you know i'm trying for crying out loud apple i mean what is going on here i'm trying to bring up the support article ht3964 on the smc and i'm getting the same stupid error from safari i don't know what apple's doing over there come on guys Somebody trip on the plug for the web servers. I've been having this problem with their support articles. Here's the here's the funny thing on this machine here in the studio. They're coming up just fine for me, hundred percent of the time. HT thirty nine sixty four. Yes, sir. Maybe you got it right in front of me. Okay, maybe it could be opt online. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about yelling at you, Apple. <laughs> but I think they hint at uh, a lot of power-related functions may may be tied to the uh, the SMC and resetting thereof. It's weird that the yeah. backlight would be controlled. I mean, of yeah. course, it can, it's got to be controlled by something. Sure. So, yeah, it stands to reason. All right. Uh, that is it. We will be back on Thursday with, uh, with Premium Show 380. From now until then, uh, we'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this to AAC. We'd like to thank Cashfly for all the hosting and bandwidth. We'd like to uh, thank everybody in the podcast marketplace, which is the A2 desktop speaker from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebone Software, PDF Pen for iPad from Smile, and Gazelle at gazelle.com. Thank you so much, and have a good one. Don't get caught. Made up.